What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because you're the CEO of your own life. In this episode, you'll meet Nate and Alicia Jackson from HustleBuddiesOfficial.com, a pair of public school teachers turned seven figure Amazon sellers. They've done it with a business model that we've covered before, and that's Amazon FBA retail arbitrage, basically buying low locally and online and then selling for a profit on Amazon and letting Amazon, this is the best part, handle all the shipping and logistics. It's simple to understand. It's low risk to get started. Nate and Alicia started for a hundred bucks, but there's a lot of strategy that comes into play as you grow. Stick around in this one to hear the product categories Nate and Alicia like for new sellers, which interestingly enough, they're known as the bra flipping couple in FBA circles. So we'll cover that. We'll cover where they source profitable inventory and some tools of the trade to scale this thing up. The full text summary and links to all the resources mentioned are at sidehustlenation.com slash 399. We're closing in on episode 400 over here. Ready? Let's do it. We sell a lot of different things. And back when we were first starting Amazon FBA, one of the big challenges was spending all of our budget. I know initially people sort sort of struggle with like how to do Amazon, but once we sort of figured everything out, well, we were public school teachers at the time and I just didn't have enough time to spend all of my budget. And so once we sort of started finding clothing and then like bras from places like Kohl's, it just exploded because now instead of spending $100 at a Walmart, if I was lucky, now I'm spending $1,000, $2,000, $10,000 at a Kohl's in a single day. And that just was completely game changing to our business. Right. So the Amazon business is all about how do you multiply money quickly, doing some ROI math in your head. And clothing was a category when I was doing this a few years ago was one that I didn't really touch. I think I few, sold a few like, I forget even the brand, like Realtree, like fishing vests oh, okay. uh-huh. or, or something like that. And it was, it was from Walmart. And I sold a lot of like toys and tools from Home Depot and random stuff and like light bulbs, which was kind of that a was actually our very first sale was a light bulb. <laughs> but you're like, okay, the clothing stuff, I would never even thought to scan really. Cause I don't know anything yeah. about the it. Next- the nice thing about clothing is that a lot of people aren't gated in that in the beginning. So if you've tried to sell on Amazon, you've probably noticed that you're restricted to sell a lot of different brands and a lot of different categories. Clothing is pretty much open. So we were able there's, to sell There's the a few like specific brands oh, sure. that are locked off, but as a category as a whole, it's very open. Yeah, exactly. So that was that makes it a little bit easier for people to find. And the thing is too, that people ignore clothing is because it requires a little bit more preparation to send it in. Yeah. You have to use poly bags. You have to sort of fold it nicely and all of that. You can't just slap a sticker on and and send it on its way. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was me. It was like, if there was ever an option for Amazon to do it for you, it was like, click that button Uh and just send it off. So you guys are doing a little bit more prep in terms of the labeling, in terms of the packaging on the front end. And that makes it less competitive as a seller. Yeah, I would say so. There's rarely, and also because of just the sheer amount of different pieces of clothing. We're not ever really going too deep on one thing. I'm not buying like a hundred of the exact same size and color and style. But if I get one of a hundred different colors and styles and things like that, there's not a whole lot of competition. Usually at most, there's maybe three or four other sellers on any exact variation that I'm trying to sell. So, I mean, if we just stay on there and, and reprice accordingly, they usually sell pretty quickly. Yeah. All right. Tell me, tell me about a sourcing trip where you're dropping a thousand bucks on bras and clothes at Kohl's. And I have a lot of questions related to that, but I'll let you kind of start that off from, from the moment you walk in the store. 
We'll start it with a funny yeah, story. Our favorite fast. Roth story. So we, like we said, we were teachers before and I taught first grade and he taught music. And so we were in the store and it was a huge sale. And so we had what, like six carts? Yeah, we had six cartfuls of just bras at Kohl's. And at this point, like we were shopping together, but I had kind of wandered off over here to this area. And how are you even like physically pulling these along? You're like, don't, don't steal my stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like both of us like holding multiple carts and yes. just kind of like pushing it down the aisle. Right. But he was kind of by himself surrounded by like five or six carts of just uh-huh, bras. Just mounded. Yeah. So yeah, you can take it from there. Yeah. So I'm <laughs> in the process of literally clearing a shelf. Like I, I'll scan a few things and I'm, I'm taking at this point all of it because Kohl's usually doesn't hold more than two or three of any exact size. So sure. I can clear a shelf and I'm, I'm getting a multitude of different sizes. So I'm in the process of clearing a shelf. And from the corner of my eye, I see this little human. And then I hear, Mr. Jackson? <laughs> and it's, it's one of our first grade students and her mom. And the mom is super apologetic. I'm so sorry. I feel so awkward. She just had to say hi. So yeah, he pulled me over and I was like, Alicia, come over here. Yeah. But as far as like the, the actual process goes, I mean, we're in the store, we're in Kohl's. And initially, obviously, like it felt awkward, like that situation was awkward. But once you sort of realize just how much money you're making, you sort of get over that. So we're in the store. We'll have like the Amazon seller app on our phone. We're scanning the barcode. We're, we're comparing all of the math. We do a lot of like discount stacking. I think that's sort of really what sets us apart from some other sellers or what sets Kohl's apart from some other stores mm-hmm. is the discount stacking. So I'll be standing there and I'm doing my mental math. Like, okay, this says it's marked for $18, but really it's, it's this much percent off. So I'm actually paying like $8 for this bra. Because Kohl's is pretty aggressive with kind of like a store-wide sale or Kohl's cash, which our, our friend is all about. Like, oh, I get Kohl's cash. Yeah, we've we've talked to some other resellers, well, and just friends in general. And they're always like, oh, I always thought Kohl's was kind of overpriced, which they are because they sort of, they <laughs> price their things up because they assume there's a lot of savvy shoppers that are going to stack all of these discounts. Okay, okay. So that's really the key, I feel like, with getting tons of stuff at Kohl's. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it just like you sign up for their email newsletters and you get notified of those Deals. Yeah, or... you can you can sign up for like an email newsletter. I actually I joined a bunch of Facebook groups for Kohl's couponing. It had nothing to do with, with flipping or reselling, but I joined those groups and then my page will just be filled. Like my news feed is just filled. As soon as there's like a 30% off sale okay. or a big Kohl's cash thing, my news feed is just, oh my gosh, who has the 30% off code or this, that, and the other. So yeah, there's places like that that you can go. You can just go to the Kohl's website. And honestly, the thing with Kohl's, their marketing it almost kind of annoys me because they make it seem like there's these like limited time promos like, oh, today only 20%. But then tomorrow- There's always another sale coming on. There's always a sale going on. So it's yeah. not like you don't necessarily need to like plan ahead. You also don't need to be like, oh, today's a 30% off sale. I have to go today. Like, well, you could probably wait a week and, and there'll be another big sale happening. Yeah. There's very few sales that are that are astronomical or like once in a year type of things. Black Friday is a normal one. Mm-hmm where they, they'll have like a Kohl's cash, 15 or 20 back with every 50 that you spend, plus 30% off, plus you'll get like 10 yes off you. of 50, plus the yes to you reward. So there's, we actually made like a Kohl's discount calculator, a little download thing. That the website. Yeah, it's on, it's on our website, but you can like stack, there's at least eight different layers of discounts that you can stack on almost every purchase that you make at Kohl's. Wow, yeah, there's the, the even credit card rewards and discount gift cards and... All that stuff. But when you're in the store scanning and you, you've got the Amazon seller app and it tells you, okay, this is how much you stand to make. Here's what it's going for on Amazon. Here's how much you stand to make after fees. And you can kind of compare with the price that's on the tag in front of you. So you kind of have to 
do some work in your head. Well, I know it's going to be 30% off plus or minus whatever sales tax that I have to pay minus this other thing. Do you have a quick way or is it just like through practice of going up to the register and being like, well, this is what I was out the door for? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. So, I mean, at this point, it's been practice. Like I'll sort of go in ahead of time with a couple different like price point criterias and I'll, I'll sort of like run some calculations ahead of time. So let's say there's like $20 items, $15 items, and $10 items. Well, I'll do the mental math ahead of time. So I know if something is priced at $18, it's like, okay, well, this is a little bit less than what my total calculations were for the 20. So let's just pretend that it's like a 61% off or something like that. And so I'll do all the calculations for a $20 item. It's like, okay, I'm really paying like $8.49. So if it's marked at 18, I'm probably paying like eight fifty for it. And so I'll do some of that mental math. A lot of the, yeah, the percent off can be calculated ahead of time. So they might say 30% off, but with the, all the discounts, it's more like 60% off. And then you can use that mental math as well. Yeah. So I would say at this point it's practice, but we have actually in the past when we were teachers, eventually I, I still ran out of time. Like I still couldn't spend my budget, even sourcing bras and coals and things like that. And so we actually hired on people to shop for us. Yeah. And I would just give them very strict criteria like when we were working with people, when we hired that out, we would say like, okay, if it's under a, this certain rank, so let's say if it's ranked under like 100,000, then we want 100% ROI after all the discounts. If it's ranked under 50,000, then we want like 75% ROI. And if it's ranked under 20,000, we want like 30, 40% ROI. Yeah. So we would have some like general guidelines for that, that were sort of I mean, we could teach anybody that, uh, but sure. then as you practice, obviously you can work outside those, those confines. Right. And that's because the lower the sales rank, the faster it's going to turn once it hits Amazon. Like a sales rank of one is the best selling item in the clothing category versus sales rank 100,000, 150,000. I might sit in the warehouse for a little bit. So I'm going to make sure that I double my money when, when it does sell. Yeah, exactly. Right. exactly. Now you roll up to the cash register with six carts full of bras. You've cleaned off the shelves did they call the store manager over? Like, what's this guy's deal? Like, what is that even like? The only time manager is really called is if, well, one time we the machines broke because we bought so much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pro tip, you can only actually check out 200 items at Kohl's oh, at, okay. at a time. And then you'll have to do a different transaction. Yeah, we broke the machines on Black. <laughs> well, I've seen some of your pictures with like the receipts like that stretch across the whole room. Yeah, yeah I think our record was 130 feet long, one single receipt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So usually managers don't get involved unless there's an issue. Mm -hmm. For the most part, managers are really happy that you're shopping there because you're clearing out all the clearance they cannot get rid of. So as a corporation, Kohl's is not... They're not, yeah, they're not reseller friendly as a corporation. But if you're a manager at a store and someone's coming and clearing out all your clearance and getting rid of a lot of stuff and boosting your sales, you're not going to ask a lot of questions. Yeah. So we don't usually have a whole lot of interactions with managers as far as like them coming to us to ask us what we're doing. Yeah. But when it does happen, we're completely honest because we're helping them. They're helping us. I want to build that relationship. So at this point, I have multiple phone numbers of managers in my phone and I'll get texts and calls like, Hey Nate, we just got Mm -hmm. this new shipment or Hey Nate, we're just putting a ton of stuff on clearance. Mm -hmm. We know it's like this brand that you like. Do you want us to set some aside for you? Okay. Geez. Yeah. So you've developed this reputation and not trying to be all like sneaky about it. Exactly. Wow. So you're getting first crack at it in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Going a long way to your cashier and to the manager as well, just being understanding that you're making a huge purchase and it is inconvenient in a lot of ways for a cashier. Just being Mm -hmm. kind, I think goes a really long way. Yeah. And it's like, would they rather check me out with 500 items or check out a hundred people with five items? And it's always, they would rather check, 
check out my purchase, especially like if I'm chatting with them, I'm making small talk, I'm joking, things like that. So we're always honest. And I usually try to like take the first step because it is weird. Like if, if I was a store manager and I saw this six foot two guy getting 500 bras, like, uh, what's going on here? Yeah. I mean, they have to know that you're in the resale business. Cause they're like, I just have a, <laughs> I have a lot of daughters. Like what? There's no other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, I always like, Hey, I'm flipping these. I was wondering if you have any more of this or like, what are your sales goals for the day? Can I help you hit that? Or do you have any Z rack? That's like the big rack in the back. So I'm not taking up six shopping carts, and yeah. things like that. So, or I'll ask them like, Hey, is there any stuff that you just like can't clear out? That's maybe sitting to the side somewhere that I can look at. So I'm always trying to figure out ways that I can help them. And then obviously they repay the favor. And 95% 95 of the time, they're really happy that you're there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, at Kohl's, I've never had a a negative manager reaction from a single Kohl's that I've been to. Yeah. In like the big data era, they've got to know what the stuff is going for online. So why haven't they made it part of their process to just cut you out? Or is that a fear that like eventually you could be cut out as they figure this out and get smarter on the e-commerce side or, or just send it into Amazon themselves if they don't want to deal yeah. with it. Yeah. I think there's there's a lot of market discrepancies, definitely. But then there's also big logistics and small logistics are drastically yes. different. Yes, these items could be profitable if they listed them online themselves. But that would mean that each individual store would have to have a dedicated Amazon seller who's constantly checking their own inventory, things like that. So I could see it happening at like a corporate level, like their online stuff. I could see going down and uh, we'll still shop online. Like that, that discrepancy does currently exist. If they outsource that, I could see it happening online, but I don't see it feasibly happening in store just because every store has different prices on different items. And so yeah. each store would have to have like their own dedicated flipper sort of. And I don't really see that happening yeah. as a whole. Yeah, that was something that on the surface didn't make sense to me. It's like Walmart is like the king of big data. Like they're super smart logistics systems. How is it that they have profitable items for me to flip on their clearance shelves? Like it just didn't register until I went out and did it. It was like, oh, okay. Like it's so weird. Like how, how have the Walmart employees not gotten onto this? Another explanation for that, just with ourselves, we have overflow inventory. We have bad buys. We have things that we have to liquidate or donate, things like that. And so like, if we have that, and we're resellers. Yeah. If it's more profitable for me to like sell to a liquidation company, the liquidation company is still making money on my stuff. So clearly, if I did something better, I could fill that inequality. But it's more efficient for me to do more of what I'm good at and more of what my employees do and things like that than it is for me to yeah. try and dive into that space of like liquidation or things like that. When you were hiring people to go sourcing for you, was that just an hourly part-time job or did you pay them like performance basis on what they found? Yeah. So we actually hired our friends and it was a case where it was actually a really good situation to hire our friends. But yeah, so we based it upon a percentage of the sales. It ended up being a decent amount too. They got paid a percentage of whatever it sold for that would go back into their pocket. So yeah, so that also helped encourage like really good sourcing as well when they went out Mm -hmm. because they wanted to find these really amazing buys because that would increase how much they got paid. But they would get also paid, I think per hour for prepping. Yeah. So sort of how we, how we managed it is usually we would pull a person on as a prepper so they could see sort of the back end side of things where they're taking like clearance stickers off, they're folding, they're bagging, all of that stuff so that they understand that. And we'd pay them hourly for that. Yes. Then we would sort of upgrade them. They would start to shadow me in the store and we might do hourly while they are just like shadowing me and sort of learning the ropes. 
And then we would switch over to like a commission percent profit base pay. Yeah. And that requires just checking in with them frequently just to make sure that they're still happy, that we're still happy Mm -hmm. and making sure that we're paying fairly and that it's good for both of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm always curious how people have it set up because on the surface it's like, well, now that I kind of know how the sausage is made, I could just (laughs) do this myself. Like, okay, this one's going in my cart. This seems like a really good buy. But no, it's, if you can set it up as a, as a win-win where they're not taking that, that inventory risk, they're not taking, you know, their upfront, it's not that they're spending their upfront cash. Most of the people who worked for us started their own Amazon businesses and there wasn't like a conflict of interest because they only had so much budget. And so if they found two of these items, well, one for them, one for me, and that's totally fine. And we understood like, I mean, we're sort of competing, but not not really. really. There's so much to go around. That's what people don't understand. People ask us why we teach people how to do Amazon. The thing is, like, there's so much out there that it's it's not hurting our business at all Mm-mm. to do that. Yeah. Is the price in store, is there, an, is there a big enough discrepancy between Amazon? Or is it like, when I was sourcing, it was more, it felt like very needle in the haystack, where like, I'd scan a bunch of stuff and maybe find a couple things, or I'd spend 45 minutes in a store and then walk out empty-handed. I was like, this is kind of frustrating. Yes. That's yeah, a lot in the beginning. That's I think that's the biggest barrier for a lot of new sellers is mm-hmm. that you spend so much time sourcing and it's either hit or miss. You either like hit the jackpot or you come out with nothing. I know we went through that for the first like few months as well. Mm-hmm. The longer you go on, the more you learn where to source, how to source, how to be efficient, mm-hmm. and it really speeds things up. Yeah, but there definitely is still that that initial barrier to entry yes. because if it really was like, oh yeah, just go to Kohl's and scan any aisle and yeah. it's going to be profitable. Well, it's not going to be profitable for long. Like yeah. either Amazon or Kohl's or the million other sellers are going to find that inequality. And so for us, what we tell people is like focus on the clearance sections first. Mm-hmm. There can be profit in other areas. It's not as common, especially with clothing. And the first six months, we really tell people too are just for learning. Like don't mm-hmm. accept it. Like we always want to clarify it's not fast money or easy money. And anyone yeah. telling you differently is probably selling you a scam. Yeah. So it's, it's work. It's not fast or easy, but it is simple. Like yes. it, it's a very repeatable process. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's buy low, sell high. I mean, it's probably one of the yeah. oldest business models around, just kind of adding a, a layer of technology to it. Hey, entrepreneurs, we know that anyone with a side hustle loves finding new ways to save. So if your business takes you on the road, sign up for a free membership with Hertz Business Rewards. Work trips, client meetings, industry conferences, with Hertz Business Rewards, you'll save at least 20% every time you rent a car. And you'll save on more than just the daily rate. Members earn credits redeemable towards free rental days. It's also free to add an additional driver if any additional coworkers come along. And for those Gen Z entrepreneurs out there, no young renter fees. Plus, sign up for Hertz Business Rewards today and earn three times credits during your first 90 days. So whether you're traveling for a side hustle or a main hustle, join for free at Hertz.com slash business rewards. Applies to base rate, taxes, fees, and options excluded. Additional terms and exclusions apply. Visit Hertz.com slash business rewards to learn more. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, 
I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you guys were still working full-time, what was your uh, schedule like for, or was it like a once a week sourcing trip? Was it, you know, every afternoon after work? What was going that on? That was crazy. It was, we should clarify it was before kids. It was before kids. So yes, we were, that's an advantage. Yeah. Yeah. It had definitely had more time. So we were working every weekend, every vacation, every day off, after school, before school. Yeah. It so, was intense. so, I mean, again, we were teachers, so we would be at school from like eight to four. Um, I was, hopefully our our principal is not watching this video, but I was sourcing like during my lunch breaks. If I had a, like a study hall period where I didn't have any students, I was out the door. I was sourcing stuff every day after school. I was sourcing. Usually I would do a big sourcing trip on like a Saturday. Like I'd I'd go all, we're from Orlando. So I'd do a big like Orlando trip all around the area. And then Sunday we, I mean like eight in the morning until midnight, we'd just be packing and shipping stuff. It was a lot of work. I kind of look back at that past year and think, oh my gosh, we were working constantly that Mm -hmm. first year. Yeah. And we actually didn't pay ourselves anything. Like we're doing this for zero money. The entire first year we were rolling 100% of the profits back in. So because of that, we were able to quit our jobs. Yeah. We we quit our jobs after that. But I mean, it's kind of crazy to think we actually started the whole thing with a hundred bucks. I actually, I think I read one of your blog posts about FBA. <laughs> yeah. This is back like almost four years ago. Yeah. And I, and I was reading about like how to do FBA. It's like, okay, let's, let's try this. And Alicia wasn't really sold no, on I it. I thought he was crazy. But I convinced <laughs> her like, let me just use a hundred bucks. And if I can flip a hundred bucks into something great. And if I can't, we're out a hundred bucks. We have finally gotten to a point. We both had jobs finally. We finally got to a point where we were like somewhat stable financially. And he, and then he's like, he wanted to do this new venture. So we thought, okay, we can do $100. And I thought, well, we'll see where this goes. Yeah. So I took $100 and I just flipped it and flipped it and flipped it. And every two weeks or, or month or so, it was... Yeah, over off on Amazon doubling. pays you. Yeah. 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 So after the first 12 months, we actually did... It was 180000 in total revenue in the first year. And that was starting with $100. We wow. always kind of joke, like, if it all crashed and burned, we'd be, we'd be out $100. <laughs> yeah. If our business goes bankrupt tomorrow, well, I'm at 100 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting way to look at it. <laughs> That's crazy. It's 180 grand in revenue off of $100 initial investment oh, in 12 months. I mean, since then, we've done well over a million dollars in total sales. But yeah, 180 in the very first year. And then aiming for different margins based on sales velocity or projected sales velocity. Mm-hmm. Is there an overall metric that you're shooting for after accounting for shipping and sales tax and the poly bags and the printers and the labels and all the software and stuff that goes into it? Yeah. What I, what I usually tell people is as far as like the sourcing end of things, it's hard to calculate all of that on each individual buy. So on an individual buy, look at just your ROI or like the money return. So I tell people try to get like either a $5 return with like 100% ROI. And if you stick with that, you should be pretty good because on average, 
Amazon will take about a third of your budget. And so there's something they call it a three X rule or a 30% rule where it's like my cost of goods is about 30%. Amazon's fees and everything is about 30%. And then my profit is about 30%. When you're scanning with the app too, it tells you in the, I mean, as you know, it tells you in the app what the fees are. And so it's not like you had to guess what the Amazon fees or shipping is. It'll mm-hmm. tell you right in the app so you can see if it's a good buy or not. Yeah. So for our business, like after everything is said and done, our net profit on our gross usually hovers around 25%. Um, and that's pretty good. I mean, if we're shooting for like a three, three, three split, and then we take some out for like the cost of the account, the cost of paying our employees, paying our employees all of that. And we're still at like that 25% yeah. and we're doing great. Yeah. That's a pretty healthy margin for something that anybody could theoretically go into. Yeah. We're, we're not geniuses. <laughs> we're pretty average people. Do you do any sourcing online? Like if I don't have a Kohl's near me or maybe the Nate of Livermore has already gone and cleaned out the Kohl's nearby? Yeah. Yeah. We do a lot of sourcing online. And again, I mean, we'll source from other places besides Kohl's. Kohl's yeah. is, is, and clothing in general is definitely our largest category. When I look, we use a program called Inventory Lab to track like all of our sales metrics and all of that. So when we're looking at Inventory Lab, we can see actually 70% of all of our sales come from the clothing category. So it's most of it, but it's definitely not all of it. But yeah, we definitely do online arbitrage, like Kohl's.com, Walmart.com, Target.com. All of those places are great. For online arbitrage, we use something called tactical arbitrage. That's like our main tool that we like for online arbitrage. It's really, we find it to be like the golden standard. Pretty much everyone I talk to who does online arbitrage or OA on a large scale, they all use tactical arbitrage. So it's kind of the golden standard for that. That's another one that doesn't quite register. It's like if everybody is using the same tools from uh-huh. the same store, doesn't that inventory get snatched up instantly and like markets it become does. efficient? It does. You have to be a lot faster. And we usually find like the margins are not as big. If we find something using tactical arbitrage, usually the margins are not as big and there is more competition later on because obviously more people found it. What I like to do is I'll start with tactical arbitrage and I'll find some items and then I'll find something that tactical arbitrage maybe didn't find, or maybe there's like a a discrepancy in the UPC or something typed in wrong. That's really where the money is. So I use tactical arbitrage to sort of bring me towards the profit. But then the big profit is really when I can find something like there was a stuffed animal, for example, that I found. So it's like, I found all these, all these clothing things, but then I was like, Oh, let me look at this 25 and below category on this website. It's like, Oh, there's these stuffed animals that didn't pull up in tactical arbitrage, but they're making like 30 bucks each at 200% ROI and they're selling out like no one can keep these things in stock. So I'm going to buy all of them. (laughs) Any bad buys? You mentioned having to liquidate some inventory, any stuff you're like, Oh, I really went big on this brand or this product. And it, it was a flop. Yeah, there's we, there's definitely some bad buys. Our first one that I would say is it was the biggest one is where our advice comes from to new sellers is to go wide, not deep. Don't buy a bunch of one thing. Came from this experience. I think we were a few months in. We actually had a wholesale account with someone and we bought like a test run of some of their products and they sold really well. They're just diffusers, oil diffusers. They sold really, really well for our first big purchase. And then we were like, okay, well, let's do some research. They all looked really, really good. We thought we'd sell out really quick. So we purchased like our entire budget. We purchased a bunch of diffusers to sell on Amazon. We thought it'd be a home run. And the next day after we sent them in, someone came on the listing and tanked the price. It was actually the brand themselves the brand came on to Amazon. And instead of, they were listed at $70 and we we're buying them for 35. Yeah. Well, they now listed it for 35 on Amazon. And we mm. still don't understand why, because it could have just price matched and still sold out. 
Yeah, but these things are flying off the shelf for $70. At 70 yeah. So it's like, you guys are, are you disheartening yourselves here? <laughs> it was disheartening. It really was. But we kind of just had to think, well, we'll try to recoup our money as much as we can and then just keep going from there. But yeah, yeah we learned our lesson for that one. <laughs> yeah, so we definitely make bad buys, but that's, that's again, why we say go wide, not deep. Buy one of 100 different things. And if 20 of them end up being bad buys, well, the 80 other ones were all yeah. great buys. And the more that you do it, the less that will happen. Right. So currently, I mean, between like returns and bad buys, things like that, usually only five to maybe 10% max of yeah. our of our products are bad buys that eventually will get liquidated or something like that. Okay. Versus going all in on like this one particular brand, because all your eggs are in one basket in that case. Yeah. What can I do as a new seller? when it seems like everything I'm scanning says restricted, restricted, restricted. And it's like, well, come on, what can I, can I sell something? I want to test this out. That's the hard part. We tell people that it's actually a positive thing. And it's mm-hmm. like that in the beginning, because if anyone could sell anything, then it'd be so oversaturated. A lot of people quit in the first few months for that reason. And so mm-hmm. we tell people, even though it's so frustrating, really hard, it's actually good. Cause that means once you get past that point, there's not going to be a lot of people saturating it. Yeah. Because it has that larger barrier to entry my grandma isn't doing it. And if there wasn't mm-hmm. that barrier entry, then my grandma could do it. And, mm-hmm. it. and if she was doing it, it would not be profitable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's sort of what we tell people as far as like, don't get discouraged for some specifics, like to give you some like meaty details, yeah. look for clothing. Clothing yeah. as a category is not restricted. That's right. why we talk about it so much. Okay. Like going to Kohl's and scanning bras or scanning pants or whatever else, the stuff for the most part is not restricted. Yeah. You're going to be restricted from like Nike and Under Armour, but the everyday brands or clothing is pretty wide open. So that's, that's where we like to tell people to start. Books is also another great place. Like if you're feeling discouraged and you feel like everything is restricted, go to your local like Goodwill or Salvation Army or something and start scanning the books. Books are virtually unrestricted. There's yeah. 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 That's a good place to start. Books are restricted, but yeah, that's a great place to start. Because virtually nothing is restricted. Yeah. And the bookseller that we talked to recently had a specialized book scanning, I want to say like a Bluetooth app where it's like, um, we're going to download the database so we don't have to like use your cell data and like ping Amazon every time I want to price check something. Is it just the Amazon seller app that you're using in the store or is there something that's faster to go through like hundreds of items at once? Yeah, we don't do... So that program is pretty specific to booksellers where you're really like beep, 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 beep. Yeah, like, yeah. like you're really, it's really a numbers game. With clothing, there's a little more analysis. So that type of like downloadable archive program, I don't find super helpful for our business. We do use the scanning app called Scoutify 2 a lot. And that's actually, it's made by the same company who makes Inventory Lab. So we mentioned like using Inventory Lab for our bookkeeping it covers everything. So it has our bookkeeping and our scanning. And I like Scoutify too, is it puts all the data in a much easier to read format. It integrates with some other systems like Keepa is a site where you can see the historical price history and sales rank history and, and things like that. So I mean, it integrates with that. What I like the most about Scoutify too, it's actually one of the under promoted pieces of it, but it's actually, there's a little tab where you can see history and because we've been doing this such a long time and I'm going to the same stores and buying the same types of things. I can click on history to see if I've ever purchased this item in the past, if I have any in stock right now, what I sold it for in the past and all of that. And so that came in handy when we had like multiple people who were buying stuff for us because they might go out on the same weekend. And if this person purchases five of an exact color and size, well, we don't want the other person to also buy that exact color and size. And so they could pull that up in the app like, oh, we already have five of these listed. We're not going to get any more for now. Or maybe you would pull up, oh, you've, 
we sold 10 of these last week. Let's get them all now. We don't need to play it safe anymore. Mm-hmm. At what point in terms of, well, you weren't pulling any profit out of the business, but at what point in terms of sales and margin, did you feel comfortable giving notice at work? Or was it just We waited a long time just because I'm more of a closet pessimist is what I say. <laughs> yeah, we waited a long time. We actually talked for two years or a year and a half. While so- a year and a half. A year and a half, mm-hmm. yeah, while sourcing. And then we quit the end of the school year. But we made sure there was well, like within our actual profit, we made sure that there was a huge gap between what we needed to live and what we were making. And so once we quit our jobs, we only as well like paid ourselves what we made as teachers. So mm-hmm. no matter how our business is growing, we are keeping our payroll the same mm-hmm. as it was this entire time, just because our business needs to take priority over that. Yeah. And it was actually like when I was running the numbers for myself, yeah. it was costing me money to go to my job. Because like, if I'm not working on my business, if I'm not sourcing, if I'm not packing things, I know what my hourly wage is for my business based on my numbers. So then I was going to work. It's like, okay, well, I'm making like 25 bucks an hour at work. I'm making a hundred bucks an hour working on my business or 200 bucks an hour. Like I need to stop going to work because this is costing me a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome to get to that point. We mentioned a little bit before we started is that we were foster parents and then we just adopted our two kids. We wanted to have the opportunity to like one of us to like be able to focus on them and be home with them. And so mm-hmm. that wasn't feasible as teachers. And so once we kind of were close to the point of growing our family through that, then we decided to quit. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like it. It sounds like it's very much a volume game if you're making five bucks an item, 10 bucks an item, and just the brute force of like going to the stores and scanning the stuff and then uploading it to Amazon and shipping it in. And there is definitely labor involved. Now, once it is in the warehouse's hands, that's when the quote passive income part comes in where it's like, Hey, I sold, you know, a hundred items today and I didn't have to touch anything. Awesome stuff. Have you run into the bottleneck of, I cleared out Orlando this weekend and now it's like, I would spend more if I could, but I'm just out of available inventory. Not really. I That's mean, what's crazy is that we there's haven't. There's always a new place to find. I mean, he might drive to Tampa. Or yeah, a- I might drive to Tampa or one of the coasts, like maybe an hour or two away. Yeah. But there's always more stuff. Now, we are a little bit, I guess, lucky in the sense of we live in Orlando. It's yeah. sort of like the shopping mecca of America. <laughs> we typed in, like there was a deal at Barnes & Nobles last year. I typed in Barnes & Nobles and I did like a 45-minute drive from my house. There was 18 Barnes & Nobles <laughs> within a 45-minute drive of my house. So I haven't really hit that bottleneck. We have people doing it in Indiana too, like in, in rural Indiana, and they're doing really wonderful as mm-hmm. well. And so the thing is, here. like there's always more stores. Yes, eventually I've cleared out the coals for my area and they're not going to have more clearance for another couple of weeks. But then you go to a different store. Maybe I go to like the Nike outlet store. Maybe right. I start hitting Walmarts now and there's hundreds of Walmarts. Yeah. So there's always other stores to try, always other niches to get into. If we have bought seemingly all the clothing that we can find, well, now I'm going to look for groceries or now I'm going to look for this or that or the other. Or we can pivot more into online sales or, I mean, at this point, like getting into wholesale. So there's there's always something that you can spend your money on. (laughs) So wholesale is an avenue. Do you see yourself going down the private label route or is like, there's still plenty of room to conquest here on the- We were were talking about that last night. We'd like to, because it is definitely a more passive model. We don't like it for beginners because- there's so much upfront cost. I mean, you've got to spend five, ten thousand yeah. dollars on product to yeah. rank it and all of that. At this point, that's a feasible thing for us. So we'll probably look more into that this year. That's that's sort of one of our goals for 2020 is yeah. start shifting more passive yeah. so that we can just spend even more time with the kids. But 
retail arbitrage is work, but once you've grown to a certain point and you've automated things, like we have people who are packing and taking yeah. labels off and prepping and shipping. After Nate shops, we're done with Yeah, it. I'll spend like, maybe like three days a week shopping and then I'm done. And so it's like I'm working 15 hours or so a week and yeah. we're making, I mean, we're paying ourselves what we both made as teachers, but the business is booming. So, I mean, there's ways to automate it. That's just sort of taking it up the next level of like front loading all of the work to something like private label, but it becomes relatively passive. The more you do arbitrage. Yeah. Yeah. There's a practice or there's a rhythm to the shopping trips where you kind of know what to look for and and everything. It becomes, becomes more efficient over time with, with practice. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that three days a week of shopping, maybe 15 hours a week of, of sourcing. And then other people now are helping with the the other logistics stuff. Exactly. Of, and and like what we said before, that's not at all how we started. Like we're working 40 hours at our job and then another yeah. probably 40 hours on Amazon and not paying ourselves. But yeah. because we put in all of that hard work up front, that's why it sort of becomes passive. I think a lot of people they'll like watch YouTube videos and things like, Oh, they make it look so easy. I mean, at a certain point it becomes it easy. easy. Like right. we're just sort of coasting. It's, it's a difficult process to learn, but a very easy and simple process to just coast. We try to be transparent in that with that too, in our Facebook group, because Mm -hmm. if you go in, I don't know, if you take a look at someone who's been doing it for two years, it does look pretty easy, but that's not the reality of just starting out. So yeah. Did you know that roughly half of side hustle nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes, T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A. A-N-D-S.com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Have you found that you almost have to operate at a pretty serious volume because of the labor involved in the packaging and the sort and like the software tools you mentioned inventory lab and some of these other ones there's definitely like different stages as far as like 
for example, tactical arbitrage. It's a fantastic tool, but it costs like a hundred bucks a month. So that's not something you should buy right at the beginning because yeah. you probably don't have very much budget. Like if that's like a large portion of your budget, well, that's stupid to buy a tool to do a job when your job is to buy an inventory. We tell people again and again and again, don't purchase a ton of tools right in the beginning. Focus on inventory. Keep it simple. Be willing to put in some elbow grease and then you'll, you'll grow a lot yeah. faster. But then for our business, obviously, yeah, like the more tools we have, the more numbers we have to do in order to pay for those tools. So sure. it definitely goes hand in hand. There, mm-hmm. there is like a larger quota that we sort of have to do to keep the lights on. And our margins, like the larger a seller gets, the smaller their margins are. So when people are showing their sales screenshots, like, oh, I sold $100,000 this month. That's awesome. But they probably, they probably yeah. did like 10% margin, which is great. I mean, like that's still awesome money. But you could probably sell half of that and be at 20% margin. So there's a give and take. Any other must-have tools for folks starting out aside from the pro-level Amazon seller accounts, like 40 bucks a month? There's something called a Scotty Peeler that you, it's like two bucks. You have to get it to take <laughs> off stickers. We just like use our fingernails for like... Save your fingernails. It was the uh-huh. worst. So we highly recommend just get a Scotty Peeler. Yeah, it's like two bucks. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, other than that, there's... There's not required tools. Yeah. Like you said, the professional Amazon selling account, that's the first thing that you should get. Right. I mean, unless you're really just barely dabbling in this, you can get an individual account for free, but that's just a dabble. Yeah. That's just a dabble before you get any tools, get the Amazon pro account, but you can do most of what we do with just a pro account. We will say to the a UPC scanner would be really helpful. We waited a long time for that. <laughs> we waited mm-hmm. too long for that, but it does help things go a little bit faster. They're like, Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely useful tools. UPC scanner, uh, Scotty peeler, uh, thermal printer. Yeah. If you're selling clothing, you will need to be like polybagging things. So you need poly bags. Inventory lab is is useful. Those are all great things. There's not necessarily like must have things. There's, there's always a free way or always the hard way to do something. But as you priority, some people, like some people that we know had a little bit more bigger budget than we started out with. Mm-hmm. And so they want to buy the label printer right away. And that's great. And they have mm-hmm. success with that. So it really depends on if you have more time or more money to exactly. shift around. Yeah. I remember punching in, cause I didn't have the, the scanner, like punching in the barcodes, like number by number and looking over my shoulder. like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it comes down to learn how it works, invest in tools where it makes sense, where it can make you more efficient. Cause like you said, at a certain point, I'm losing money going to my job. And it's like, well, that's a fantastic place to be in. Nate and Alicia, really much, uh, very much appreciate you uh, joining me, sharing me, sharing with me the inside scoop on how the bra flipping empire works. We've got two coals within uh, 10 minutes of here. So I may, oh, there you uh, go. I may make a scouting trip uh, this afternoon and see what's going on. Right now, they're actually doing like a bonus. It's like, 80% off of clearance stuff. Plus you can stack everything. Like there's never been a better time to check the clearance area. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, hey. <laughs> here we go. This will be my afternoon nap time activity over here. Hustlebuddiesofficial.com. Check them out over there. Anything that people should know about the, the Hustle Buddies Facebook group? What else is going on? Yeah. I mean, if you want to check us out on Facebook. Facebook's a great place to start with our group. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a big community of just Amazon sellers. Hustle Buddies. Yeah. You look up Hustle Buddies on Facebook, or if you want to check us out on YouTube, we do a bunch of videos just sharing like tools, tips, and advice specific to Amazon sellers. That's Hustle Buddies on YouTube. So, All right. We will link up all of those resources for this video. Let's wrap this thing up with a number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. Does not have to be arbitrage related, whatever entrepreneurial wisdom you'd like to impart. Hmm. No pressure. Entrepreneurial wisdom. 
So someone just asked this in our group this morning, actually. They said, what is the key thing that differentiates a successful person at this or really any entrepreneurial thing uh, with someone who fails at it? For me, like what I would identify as the, as the number one differentiator between someone who has success and failure is the person who can take 100% of the responsibility for both the successes and the failures. So mm-hmm. like specific to Amazon, someone who's complaining like, oh, Amazon takes too many fees, it doesn't work, or oh, everything's gated, it doesn't work. That's all blaming an outside source. If you can become the person that says, everything is restricted, let me find the thing that's not, or let me scan this entire aisle. It's the person who like takes a hundred percent responsibility. And then when they do find it, like, yes, I found it. I didn't get lucky that I built a seven figure business on Amazon. Like it was very methodical. I followed the process, a lot of speed bumps, but we overcame them all. So I take a hundred percent responsibility for the success. And Mm -hmm. I also take a hundred percent responsibility for all of the failures. I, I try not to blame outside sources. There's always something that I can do better. And I think that translates into, I mean, really any business. I mean, even like you think of a manager, if your employee like messes up, did your employee mess up or did I mess up because I didn't train that employee and I didn't inform them correctly initially? Like, is there something else that I could have done better? So if you sort of shift that mindset, that's really where we see a differentiation. Mm -hmm. I like that. Alicia, anything to add there? Uh, no. Well, sounds good guys. Again, hustlebuddiesofficial.com. Thank you so much for uh, joining me and we'll catch up with you soon. Once again, big thanks to Nate and Alicia for sharing their inspiring retail arbitrage story. I know there were several tools and resources mentioned, so I've done my best to link those up for you in the show notes for this episode at sidehustlenation.com slash 399. If you liked this episode or anything you've heard on the Side Hustle Show so far, be sure to tell a friend and hit that subscribe button in your podcast player app. We've got lots of fun stuff coming up, and that way you'll never miss an episode. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen, and I'll catch you next week for the 400th edition of The Side Hustle Show. I'll see you then. Hustle on.